Welcome to the Interlocutor Interviews Podcast. I'm Tyler Nessler, the founder of Interlocutor Magazine. And today I've got with me Pete Min, who runs Colorfield Records in Los Angeles. So how are you doing, Pete? I'm very good. Thank you. Great. Well, I just want to begin by mentioning that what makes Colorfield especially unique is that its artists are basically encouraged to compose in the studio and they often play instruments they're unused to. And there's also as much of an emphasis on sound as there is on composition and musicianship. And uh, it's been said that chaos and chance are a big part of the process. Um, and I want to mention that so far I've interviewed three color field artists for the online edition of Interlocutor. Um, there's a fourth interview coming up soon as well. And every one of these artists have been very complimentary towards you and the whole color field process. It sounds almost magical. So I'm excited to have have you here and get a chance to speak with you. Um, so just to start off, how would you describe yourself? I mean, you're a record producer, but you almost seem to be more like a like a coach in a way or a creative f- facilitator. So how do you think of yourself in that in that way? Um, well, I I wear many hats depending on what I'm doing, but for my label, I feel like I'm kind of like a Sherpa. And, <laughs> yeah. And I'm basically kind of leading them through the process. Um and basically the premise is that I I'm trying to um have the artist access their unconscious rather than them thinking too much about chord changes or rhythm or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way uh to do that is to get people to if so Anth- like if Anthony's you know Anthony Wilson comes in he's a guitar player I'll put him on a drum machine right everybody has their bag of tricks and I'm not saying it in a derogatory way it's just I mean everybody in life has their bag of tricks that they can you know pull from but that's just stuff that they practiced and so I'm trying to access the stuff that's in the subconscious which yeah. I think with musicians, a lot of times the best stuff comes when they're not thinking and they're just kind of sitting around and then stuff falls out. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of Anthony Wilson, I'm I'm doing an interview with him for the magazine for the new album that'll be going up soon on the site. Um, So tell me a little bit about your your background, your career in music. Um, We can just touch on that. Um, and especially like what, what got you to this place where you are in this Sherpa mode with guiding musicians? Like when you started off in music, what were things that you kind of disliked about the, the recording process that, that made you want to kind of take a different approach? Um, well, I started as a guitar player and I lived in New York and I, you know, was in bands and, um, you know, tried to do that thing. Yeah. And then, but all the while, I always collected gear. And at a certain point, I had enough to, uh, enough gear to open up a studio. So I opened up a studio. I started doing that. I actually did some commercials, you know, just it was, it was a way to make good money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that for a while, but I always had bands. I was always writing. I was always trying to do that thing. Uh, and then I moved out to LA about 15, 16 years ago. 
Um, and I continued to do kind of more of the, the, uh, studio thing out here. Um, and then, um, during COVID, I got together with a couple of friends of mine while we weren't supposed to get together, but <laughs> I just got together. I had a studio and I invited a couple people over and we would just jam and make music for fun. And it just made me realize that that's when I have the most amount of fun. And yeah. so I, one day I was with a friend of mine and I thought I'm going to start a label especially because in Los Angeles, I have a, the people who my reach for uh, certain kinds of people is pretty good um, just because I have a studio. So they come through my place and I just knew a lot of interesting people who I could provide a service for. If I started a label, I have the studio. Yeah. So I started to reach out to people and just ask if they wanted to do a record. And while I was, during covid while we were doing this stuff it was just you know there weren't songs it was just made up on the spot and i figured that that could be a fun way to to for artists to make records where they don't have to bring in songs they don't yeah. have to they don't have to and some and a lot of people that i get are sidemen or right. sidemen you know people right. who you know, play with other people and they're not necessarily even thinking about doing a record. I mean, some people like Anthony has a whole slew of records from the past, but um, there are definitely people who I've asked who um, don't have previous records. And I just said, hey, just come in. We'll do a day, see what happens. And I, throughout this process, I figured out my own bag of tricks of how to get people to engage and to open up um right in this situation i have to create a safe space for people so they feel like you know there's no judgment because when people just start messing around sometimes it doesn't always sound great which is fine that right. because people are exploring and they're just trying to find stuff so and then so I might put somebody on something called a bukla. It's like a, it's a semi-modular synthesizer, which is pretty complicated and most people don't know how to use it, but you can just twist knobs and, you know, fader <laughs> right. and stuff comes out and I'll be recording everything. So I might go through it, edit it and then say, okay, now play drums. Oh, I don't play drums. Well, cool. Just play drums. So <laughs> we'll play drums. And then I might take their drums, flip it onto a, uh, I have a tape deck. I'll flip it onto the tape deck, go down an octave, pull it back into Pro Tools, quantize it. And then that becomes part of the rhythm. So this so kind of like organic freeform style, it sounds like it did develop out of these um, pandemic kind of jam sessions that you were having with friends, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, And part of the sound part comes in with manipulation of sound mm -hmm. and making, trying to make sounds interesting. And, and the other thing about like what I realized, because I mix and I, you know, engineer and stuff like that. And what I realized is that, you know, when I would listen to like hip hop stuff, like it was always so clear and there was so much space. Mm -hmm. And I really like, I like that. so. 
I'm always trying to get people. And what I realize also is that like, if there's like, if you make sounds from the beginning, really good, and then you start piling on other sounds, you're covering up those initial sounds. <laughs> right. So if, if you have like, to me, a win is if there are four or five elements at a time playing at the most, because then you can really hear the sounds, which yeah. are super important. And then you make sure that each part is there for a reason. It's not just filler. Yeah. It's not just a pad that's just there just to fill it out. Just so, you know, it's very easy to just put a pad on because it makes it fills it out and it's like kind of a security blanket almost, but I'm trying to get each part to mean something. So then you have to add less stuff at the end. Right. So if there's yeah. three, th so a lot of people sometimes in the beginning, like, and this is just because of how they've been trained is if you come in and do a session and you play on a song, if you're on a verse, you're trying to play a part that is, kind of the same thing over and over because there's a vocal that's telling the story yeah because i'm doing instrumental music that doesn't help me because that part if it's a static part that means you got to add another part to do something to make it interesting so i'm always trying to get people to do more um through comp composition where i'm like i don't care if it's a part make it more noodly i call it do jerry like jerry garcia <laughs> so i'm like yeah. do jerry like just kind of <laughs> noodle and then so if you get three parts that are noodling they're all interesting they're interlocking and they're all doing something different throughout the whole piece as opposed to the same thing over and over again and that okay. way and that way you can have less things playing at the same time but it's interesting for people yeah to for listen sure. to for sure well as you've developed this process who are some other producers who inspired you um, who also kind of created similar studio atmospheres and the kind of working relationships that you strive for with colorfield brian you know okay yeah for he, sure he would be kind of for num number one, I just think he thinks about music in a very interesting way and a non-traditional way. And, you know, I, I want to go forward with things. Um, and I also, um, I, I do. Yeah. Uh, Brian, Eno would be definitely the number one person for me. Well, it's kind of funny when I was thinking about your, your style as a producer, um, I was kind of thinking about this dichotomy between two types of producers and that I know of, like, for instance, we have like the, the dictator types, like Phil Spector <laughs> seemed to just like it's his way or the highway, you know, the way that he recorded. And then you have these more kind of like wizard types, like Rick Rubin. Right. And I kind of see you as what's that. And Rick. Yeah. I would put Rick uh, in that as well absolutely yeah rick rubin is who i thought of immediately um and in in the sense of your approach and kind of you know the organic way that you you know you work with musicians so i feel like you're you're more on that side of the spectrum rather than like the 
the more dictator style, like, you know, Phil Spector, um, from what I know of how he worked with people. I was also thinking of Rudy Van Gelder as well. Right. I mean, uh, that was yeah, I mean, Rudy, inspiration. Rudy, yeah. He, well, he's an enigma because he doesn't really talk about, you know, how he records. He was very private about that. So to right. me, he's more of an enigma. And I mean, in that sense, I mean, with the people that he's working with, I mean, you get four people that, you know, of that stature who work walks into his studio. I mean, I think all you got to do is put mics up and, <laughs> and you're going to get something great. You know, I yeah. mean, what the thing about my recording um, process, it's one person. So it's not two people playing at the same time or four people playing at the same time. It's very easy to get four people in, do a record in two days where my process takes more like 15 or 16 days. And they're more, more like production records, like pop mm -hmm. production records where, you know, the inspiration should come out of the uh, uh, unconscious or subconscious, but then we really spend time crafting it. So it's a very interesting listen. Um, and that takes time, you know, especially when it's just one person, but then at the end, we usually bring in people, um you know to fill out stuff and at that point it it helps a lot yeah i i know that's how it worked with uh anthony wilson right i think the yeah. the first part of the the new album um he is it's just mostly him right yeah playing on everything yeah on all the records okay but um i know that there were other colorfield uh, players who came in right and recorded for his album is that correct yes yeah, yeah. that yeah. yes but most okay. like all records are like one per, like benny did most of his record and then we pulled in you know a couple of his friends at the right. end it's at the end of the record we pull in you know people who are their friends or you know people who they want to work with who i might know right um and then you know like with oma i pulled in Abe, Abe rounds to play drums on it. Cause they liked the way he played, um, with Benny and Nora's record. I got Mark Giuliana to come in and play, uh, on their records. So, and I'm, I'm trying to do that cross pollination thing, kind of like the ECM thing, you know, where different people on the label play, playing each other on each other's records. Yeah. Well, so it, you've worked with so far with Colorfield. It seems like relatively young, kind of up and coming artists. Um, what do you look for in, in a musician, like in terms of their aspects of their own personality uh, or whatever their vibe or somebody like what 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 elements of a person do you look for in in the sense of somebody that you would want to work with and and kind of help them to develop as an artist. Um, if they have a style, style is a good, mm -hmm. good, uh, starting point. Um, I don't really care. Like I, I'm not a schooled person. I work with a lot of people who are schooled. Um, I, you know, m most people know way more about theory and notes and stuff like that than I do. Um, I think Rick and Brian are both good examples of people who might not know as much theory as other people, but their approach, their approach makes them, you know, what they are. 
Right. Which is to, in my book, you know, genius is kind of, um, so, um, but yeah, basically, um, and, and, and openness. I mean, usually I do a day with somebody before I commit to doing something because I definitely have gotten into situations where certain musicians, um, have a harder time being as free Mm -hmm. as it kind of is necessary in this process. Like if people aren't free, then the process gets um, bogged down and the results are generally not as good. So it's almost like you're kind of doing an audition with them and almost like a vibe check in a way. In a way, yeah, to come with to a just, person. and it's not, and it's not, I mean, usually the musicians are amazing. It's just whether they can let themselves right. really be free and kind of childlike, you know, and yeah. somebody, somebody uh, I mean, I've had conversations with a couple of people where one person told me that they spend their whole lives trying to control things <laughs> yeah. on the instrument, right? Like right. They're, they, they spend their 10,000 hours trying to control the instrument whereas i'm trying to get them to like forget the ten thousand hours or not forget it but you have it now let's explore now that you have that let's explore the part of your brain because anybody who and everybody that i know no matter how good they are is not necessarily they're tired of what they can do, but in a way they're tired of what they can do because that's all they know. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's with anybody. Sure. Any kind of art or or any, just anybody in general, Mm -hmm. just every human being (laughs) on the planet. I mean, you know, you know, you know, in your brain and in order to access the stuff that's outside of that, of the conscious part of it, it's hard to access, you know, unless you let go. Yeah. And that's the thing. And some people can let go. And some people, you know, like there's definitely people who I've worked with who are just, they just understand the process and it goes very quickly and smoothly. And it's just like a joy. And then there are other people who, you know, it's just, it's so foreign to them. Yeah. It's hard for them to even understand what the process is. So, so now I, yeah, I usually like to do a day and, and also I've had people come in and, you know, it wasn't for them, you know, right. Business part of it wasn't for them or I, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a very specific process and it's for people who want to kind of get outside of themselves and make a record that doesn't sound like what they would normally do alone. Right. And I mean, so far, it seems like it's worked out beautifully. Um, you know, I mean, what I've heard from color field has always been compelling. Um, and there are always kind of these organic elements of surprise to the recordings, which is what, you know, I was made me immediately. There's a human element to them is what I'm getting at, which has made me connect to the recordings in different ways. So I appreciate that about, about what you're doing. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the the setup of your studio, Lucy's Meat Market. Not necessarily the technical setup with the equipment, but 
what do you kind of think is necessary in terms of creating like uh, an, an aesthetic element or the type of atmosphere and just even in terms of like layout furnishings, the just general kind of feel of the place to facilitate mm-hmm. this kind of work. Being able to work super fast. So mm-hmm. if somebody, so if somebody is ready to record, Hey, let me, give me 15 minutes and let me, you know, I don't like to do that. So basically most of my stuff takes five minutes for me to set up, you know, cause I just, I like to work super fast, even outside of my label. I just get bored of like, Oh, let's set up drums. Like, you know, it takes 20 minutes to set up the microphones and stuff like that. Like I have no interest in that. My, my interest is trying to keep the person focused on just doing music and creating and not having any impediments um, in the way. So that's the main thing. I mean, I literally just got uh, a console uh, which I need to now figure out, oh, you know, my process um, in this studio. I'm actually opening up another smaller room where I'm going to make my records. And then this bigger studio is going to be a little bit more like a commercial place, but I might bounce between the two places. So I got, I, I have a, I have a process and mainly the process is to be very fast and have right them access all this stuff very quickly instrument wise i like to have unusual things just because it usually the usually the uh the artists are are inspired by things that they've never seen or touched and i have stuff that's really cool like you know just stuff that's unusual unobtaining them and you know so it's fun for them so I was going to ask you about the instruments um, and specifically like if you could talk about a couple that you're especially fond of that are, I don't know, particularly rare or that you have seen, you know, musicians respond to in really surprising ways that you, you know, didn't expect. Um, so I, I like sonically, I really like organic and synthesized sounds together. Like that's, that's a very, like sonically, if you can do that right, it's a great, it's a great sound. So a lot of the percussion stuff, I mean, not all of it, but a lot of the percussion stuff is like people just playing things like organic things. Um, They might be quantized to give it a more like, not rigid, but more modern feel, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like, you know program drums like that's all quantized so i might quantize the organic stuff so it feels more modern and then there's a synthesizer called the ppg mm-hmm. from i think it's the early 80s that's super um uh very digital sounding hmm. and when it works it's it's an amazing blend um, I have a Moog modular, which I use for bass all the time. It's just, um, it's kind of like the predecessor to the mini Moog. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's from like 1972. Um, I just got this, uh, the Simmons drums from the eighties, the, you know, I mean, they were used all over the eighties 
recordings and it's fantastic. Like I use that, like I use a lot of drum machines as well, like a mix between drum machines, organics. So there's always a mix between the, you know, super organic and then kind of the future, but the future from the eighties. <laughs> Love it. If, if yeah. that makes any sense, you know? No, I think so. And I think, I think you can kind of hear that in a lot of the recordings that, that come out of, of, with Colorfield. Um, what about like really unusual or exotic instruments? Do you have a couple that like some musicians have never even seen or heard of? Um, I mean, I have these things called morph beats, which are these steel plates that are tuned. Mm-hmm. Um, I use a lot. Um, I have uh, a couple of African instruments and I'm blanking on the names of them. Um, a, a lot of synthesis, like the Bukla I had said before, I have this thing called the EMS, uh, Putney, which is from, that's an Eno instrument from the early seventies. So there's a, there's a lot of like kooky synthesizers, from <laughs> early seventies, eighties, yeah. um, that are sometimes hard to, you don't see them in a lot of studios. They're either they're expensive or they're hard to maintain but when you use them they just create like a a sound that's yeah. hard to you know any other way so to me that it's worth it you know yeah yeah definitely um well so there's a uniformity to your overall production process and everything's recorded i mean so far at lucy's meat market and then um, mastered by Kevin Gray at Coherent Audio. Yeah, he does all the um, Blue Note reissue. Oh, records. okay. Okay. Um, um, he he. I was introduced by him through. Um, oh, I'm blanking on his name at Blue Note. The guy who does all the reissues reissue stuff he he actually was in here doing a record with um anthony wilson he was producing a record with anthony wilson and and i asked him i told him i was opening up a uh or starting a label and i asked him what advice he'd give me or he'd have for me and he said do vinyl and Mm -hmm. use right and then so i for all our vinyls because we're trying to do hi-fi records so mm-hmm. when you play it on a nice hi-fi system it's a beautiful oral experience so yeah. we we master all the vinyl through kevin who if you go on any boards he's like yoda of <laughs> of the mastering world um of certain kinds of records you know the blue note stuff he doesn't sure he, he knows how to cut vi- he knows how to cut vinyl and he knows how to um he doesn't do a lot of stuff to it he doesn't manipulate it that much which is what i think people like about it because it's so pure Mm -hmm. and beautiful sounding and then i asked him you know where we should um print the records and he told us basically there's a couple of places in the states um there's rti and qrc so since rti is out in ventura um we do our stuff in ventura at RTI. So, yeah, it, yeah. I'd read well, about that. I was going to ask you about RTI. 
as well. Yeah, the pro- the problem with them is that, you know, Blue Note does all the records through RTI. So it takes us about a year or a little less than a year to get our records. Like <laughs> so from so when we submit. Yeah, yeah. So when we do the releases, we never have vinyl for for our releases because we're always, you know, waiting at least eight months or 10 months or whatever to get the the actual vinyl. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, but, so now, how long have you been running the studio? Uh, well, uh, let's see. I've moved out here in 2006. I lived at a different place, had a studio, uh, did a bunch of records out of there. And then I moved here in 2014 and to, it took a while to build. Cause so I built the studio mm-hmm. and by 2015, I was up and running. Um, so probably eight, nine years, something like that, eight years. But then this, as we were talking about before, this kind of like, um, playful organic process, um, the way that you work with musicians now, like that kind of came out of those jam sessions with the pandemic. So it sounds like you kind of switched your, your working style, even though you bet you've had this studio, you know, pre pandemic. Um, I, well, I, I had the studio and it was basically, um, you know, just kind of a private slash commercial studio. I did a lot. I've done a lot of records with different people. Um, and, um, I just realized, you know, during the pandemic, I could, I just wanted to do something different. You know, I mean, the pandemic changed a lot of people and, you know, everybody's uh, perception of who they are, what they are, what they wanted to do changed and mind changed in a way that I thought I could give back. um, You know, LA LA has a pretty vibrant... um, community right now it with music yeah um, and so i was tapped into a certain part of it and there was a lot of super creative super interesting people that i you know came across so it was just it was a no-brainer i mean it was very easy for me to start it i just needed to do it i had know nothing about label having a label uh <laughs> so it's you know, there are growing pains, but, you know, I have a partner, Todd Dahlhoff, who's helping me, who's a great, he's a great bass player. He plays with Feist and Devondra and, you know, some other people. And he's, he, he and I are partners in this. Um, and we have another person, Charlie, who, who's helping out as well. Um, but it's basically the three of us. And I mean, it's kind of the blind leading the blind, but we, <laughs> we have Gabriel um, thankfully to help us and, you know, give us su- suggestions. We're actually trying to get new distribution right now with K7. I hope it happens. Um, and that was a suggestion through Gabriel as well. So he's been, he's been super helpful because, you know, we're a little label and, um, it's, it's definitely exceeded what I thought would happen. You know, I mean, we're trying to do six records a year. And I mean, there's so much music out there, you know, but, but we do, I mean, I think the, the, the thing about our label is that it's very specific. So if there are people out there who like the record company, maybe they'll like the rec, you know, they'll just like the label because it's not 
a ton of different styles. It's very specific. So it is, it really is. That's what jumped out right away. Um, and you're talking about Gabriel, you're talking about uh, Gabriel Birnbaum, right? Yeah. Uh, clandestine. Uh, yeah, yeah. Clandestine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is a music PR company. And that's how I discovered Colorfield because I've, I've been working with, with him and, you know, he's set me up with interviews with uh, some of your artists. Um, and after interviewing enough of your artists and, and reading about, you know, their thoughts and about your working process, I'm like, I want to talk to this kind of this wizard. <laughs> I don't have enough wizard. I just, I, I <laughs> if wizard I have, aspects, I would say. <laughs> yeah. I, I have an, I have an idea of how to actually try to get people to do music in a way that's slightly different than normal. So, and, uh, and it seems like if people like it, then I, you know, it's, I've worked with, um, you know, Anthony before on his own music and I was, I didn't know how he would take it or even like, like the process, but he loved it. He, he, yeah. I, I mean, I, that's, he told me he loved the process. So, um, <laughs> and it definitely sa- doesn't sound like any of his previous records. And I told him yeah. that, you know, there, his fans may not love this record, but he likes it. So that's, I think that's what matters. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, talking about LA, you had mentioned, you know, there's a great kind of uh, creative music scene in LA right now. And this, this kind of um, style that you're working in and you, and you worked in New York for a long time. And a lot of, a lot of the, um, the music that I'm hearing that's coming out of LA and in particular, your, your, your studio seems like very particular to the West coast you know, like there, there, there's like a looseness to it. I mean that in the, like the best way, like there's something very West coast about it. And considering you spent, you've worked in both New York and LA, do you feel like there's something about the, I don't know, the music production scene in, in Los Angeles right now, that's really uh, conducive to, to this kind of experimentation? Um, well, I'm, I'm an East coaster. You know, I lived in New York for 20 years and I grew up in Jersey. And so I feel like I'm very East Coast. Um, I think the people, you know, I think, I mean, it's cliche, but it's the weather. <laughs> right. So it's just so specific out here. And and the culture is just different, even though everything's getting homogenized now because of the Internet and, you know, everybody knows everything. But still, there's something about you know, it's very relaxed out here compared to New York. When you walk out your house, you get kind of punched in the face and you're like, Hey, we're in yeah. New York. here we go. Whereas out here you walk outside and you see trees and, you know, it's just, it's so much more relaxed out here. Yeah. I think that's the looseness part of it. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, there, there's a really good scene out here. There's a, there's a, a club called ETA that exists that's right down the street from me where a lot of the people who I do records with, they play there and the owner lets them just not the, uh, yeah, Ryan, he just lets them jam sometimes, you know, Hmm. some, sometimes they have music, sometimes they don't. Sometimes people just go in there and they just play Jeff Parker, Anna Butters, um, Mm -hmm. and Jay Belrose. They play there on Monday nights when they're all in town and that, kind of started that whole thing and they just would mm. go with, sometimes they would play tunes but sometimes they would they just jam 
And they're yeah. such masters at their instruments that, you know, there would just be beautiful moments that would happen. And so there's, and I'm, we do stuff down there. Like we'll do nights of color field down at that place ETA. And so that, that's definitely like a, that's part of the whole like sceney thing that's going on right now in LA. Um, at least with my label, um, it's, it's pretty fertile right now here. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I live in New York and, and, but I'm from the West coast. And so that, oh, and, wow. when I, <laughs> and when, and from Southern California actually. And, and, and so when I was, you know, first hearing your, the color field recordings, I'm like, there's just something so West coast about this sound, <laughs> you know, that, it, that just sounds so different than the, 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 I don't know, the, you know, just the mood or the vibe of East coast angst it's hard. or edginess yeah <laughs> I, mean, I mean i i i will say there is more avant stuff in new york mm-hmm. for sure and and also you know there are times when i i want to hear some of that like you know late 70s early 80s new york <laughs> you know the the avant jazz or no wave kind of thing yeah and sometimes the people out here, the musicians out here, don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> just because they weren't exposed to it or they just, you know, like you got to kind of be from New York or understand that. Yeah. That thing, which is why that music came out of New York. It didn't come out of L.A. It came out of New York or Berlin or whatever. Like, it's just, right, right. It's just hard. <laughs> it's it's desperate. It's, you know, it's, and that comes out of New York. So you know, there's definitely like the cliche sometimes is true, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I've, I've always been attracted, especially to no wave. And then, you know, going back to Brian Eno, Brian Eno had a whole uh, part in basically kind of, you know, he, well, didn't he produce that record? No, no New York. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And if it hadn't been for him, I don't know if a lot of that music would have really survived. I don't think a lot of those bands recorded much. That yeah. there's that one comp that kind of one moment in time yeah. that's what was kind of fascinated me yeah yeah but there's so much music in that like late 70s early 80s that was just so it's incredible yeah yeah for sure and it's very new york you know it's it's new york music so yeah. as well as there is beautiful la music and there's a lot of <laughs> probably a lot more ambient music out here too you know there are these you know situations now where people there's ambient music at the parks and people go lay out and they just like they're in at night and they're like looking at the stars and it's just ambient music. And, you know, wow. I don't really get, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't happen in New York so much um, that I know of. I don't know. I haven't been back in a long time. <laughs> I haven't heard of anything like that. That I guess you could do that like in central park prospect <laughs> park in Brooklyn. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I haven't heard of anything like that, though. Yeah, that, that does that's, sound very LA West Coast. It's very. It's happening out <laughs> here. Love it. So. Well, it was great talking with you, Pete. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thanks a lot to everyone out there listening. You can find us online at interlocutorinterviews.com, Instagram at interlocutor.interviews. Visit our YouTube channel. Also, if you're a fan of our arts coverage, you can sign up to be a subscriber or donate via Patreon. Just click on the Patreon link on our site, and I'll be back soon with another Interlocutor Interviews podcast episode. Mm-hmm.